Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. My name is Dan Rowenson. I'm joined as ever by Matt Kendrick. We've just seen Man City beat Villa 2-0 at the Etihad, annoyed. It's the first one of these I've done. Well, obviously, we haven't had many games to go out of way and I didn't do the cup game. Um, it's the first, second one of these I've done in the in 2021. It's a very similar story in it, Villa... Will go to go to Manchester, go to play against a superpower in Manchester, more than hold their own, albeit living very, very dangerously this time. Think that we're going to emerge with a point or even sneak a smash and grab. Um and then just get get this real horrible kick in the knackers again. Mm. Um I don't know, I'm just I'm just fuming because I just think this is still on course. If Villa can get back up up to speed and get over this latest disappointment, still on course to be a fantastic season. But these decisions are stopping it being a fantastic season with you know a big massive cherry on top. Well, what, it's, what it's doing is, as much as this season will be very good if we finish on fifty points, so whatever it, whatever it ends up being, we're not going to be in a relegation battle, which is what we all feared at the back end of last season. But it's stopping us. It doesn't matter whether it's a cherry on top of the cake. It's stopping us to get what we deserve. We deserve to be picking up more points than we're getting. And some of those, yeah, occasionally you'll have a game where you don't perform and that's your fault and you hold your hands up and say, oh, we weren't good enough. When you're getting robbed of points because of dodgy decisions and VAR calls and just nonsense and incompetency, that's what I can't stand. It's not Villa's problem. We talked in the preview about, well, we don't know how COVID's going to affect us. We don't even know who's going to be available. For the large part, we looked pretty unaffected by the the nineteen day break, and we looked we kind of pretty much picked off picked off where we left off. But we hold our own for seventy odd minutes, whatever it is. We we play well, we make chances. Yeah, we don't probably deserve to go there and win. We'd probably deserve a point. And then you get this nonsense VAR decision. Or it's not really even a VAR decision. They just deem it to be one minute. It's oh yeah, he's he's offside. Peter Walton says in the commentary, and then he. Develops a lack of backbone in five minutes. Like, goes, oh, actually, he plays him onto an onside position because he t- touched the board. That's just this sums it up for I'm me, though. Dan. I'm just so annoyed. Regular regular listeners to the show will know that they, they get a, a man in the pub vibe rather than a kind of deep expert analysis on this podcast. But if the referee who's paid in the studio, you know, a former Premier League referee, his area of expertise is to interpret these rules and how they're applied, if he can change his mind within, you know, five or six minutes, what, what, how are the rest of us, how are us mere mere mortals supposed to know? You know, it's it's absolutely farcical. It really is. It's just... The thing is as well, you see all these silly decisions, like, I say silly, this is what the rules are, that's the problem, the rules are wrong for what the technology offers now. I've seen people say this many different times that, there's so much angles and so much replays and all the rest of it, so much technology now that the rules haven't caught up with the things that we're able to see. So the rules need changing, never mind the the, the the VAR itself. The implementation of it is wrong. The referees aren't up to standard to use it properly. 
and the rules are wrong. That's three big factors that need to change to make VR a success. That could be years before we see it used properly. What I don't like is that we see things like the Arsenal game when John McGinn, I think, has his goal ruled out because Barkley's interfering with play because he's maybe in the line of sight of the goalkeeper. That's ruled out. Cool, whatever. Today, though, Rodrigo, he's not interfering with play, even though he's literally touched the ball and played the ball onto another Man City player. That doesn't count as an interfering with play, apparently, because Mings deliberately plays the ball, so that makes him onside, even though he's stood in an offside position still. It's just nonsense. It's just poor. The standard referee in, in this country and in the Premier League is poor. John Moss is awful. I mean, fair play to Dean Smith, by the way. As much as I get managers getting sent off, that was other clubs. You're going, God, look at him. Like, can't he just like, wind him? But he said something to him. He's gone over and booked him. And then I liked that. <laughs> I think it was with Manning. I was like, oh, Peter, can you explain what happened? Boy, it was a yellow. And then a red. Obviously, he said something else. I don't know. It's not hard. But I like that. He's, he's been given in the booking. He's turned around. He's still gone at him. You could read it. I read a little bit of it. He's come back out and given the red card. And you go, yeah, fair play. Do you know why not? Tell him. Refs aren't held accountable. So someone's got to do it. I thought, McMahon, I thought McManaman, he didn't, he didn't grate on me quite as much tonight. I quite liked his enthusiasm at times. But why was he asking Peter Walton that? What did he think <laughs> happened? Yeah, I know. Didn't think, oh. You know, kind of, Dean Smith had just kind of had a magic third leg and tripped him up when he's not looking or kicked him up the arse. It was just, <laughs> um, yeah, it was just, just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, fair, fair play to Dino for, for speaking on behalf of his fellow Villa fans. But I don't know whether it's you know, what be- complete nonsense he was. I don't know whether Smith gets interviewed by B2 because he got sent off or not, but he obviously he'll, he'll speak about it at some point, whether it's in written press or radio or whatever. I'll be interested to see what he actually says about that decision because he's offside. I don't care what you want to say about deliberately playing the ball or it being a different phase of play. The phase of play stuff nonsense because it's the same thing. He's come up from an offside position onto it, played the ball through and they've scored. Yes, you can prevent the goal after that fact, but he's offside and it should be ruled out. I don't care. They are look at that and go, he's offside. Let me get this right. If Mings wouldn't, I mean, we'll, we'll come to Mings and his part in it in a minute. But if Mings wouldn't have played that ball, he deliberately wouldn't have tested it, and he wouldn't he'd have, have kicked it, in, he'd just let it bounce. Yeah, he'd have and been then offside. Then come back and take in possession. Then he's offside. Yeah, if it had just bounced so, off Mings, he'd have been offside. But because he's played the ball, that's a secondary phase of play. So he's now onside again, even though he's still stood in the offside position. But it's not a different phase of play, is it? He's still interfering in that same move. A different phase of play is from one end of the pitch to the other. It's not just that, oh, he's touched the ball now. It's just nonsense. The, the interpretation of the rule is wrong. It's, um, it reminds me, it's obviously different, but it reminds me, and it was the, it went in Villa's favour, this one. Uh, it's almost giving players permission to just kind of hide, you know, just kind of hide in the shadows. So yeah. Remember when Dion Dublin kind of snuck up, Shay Given oh, rolled the ball out for Newcastle, and he snuck up off the pitch. And then, uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Take a goal kick. And I think Man City. There's one as well. Um, Man City keeper. Um, long time ago, Andy Dibble. He got the ball in his hand, and Gary Crosby kind of managed to sneak up and head it out of his hand. And it's just, you know, we know Mings, regardless, should have dealt better with that situation because you can't get caught in the. You can't get caught on that line, on that defensive line, just in front of your box, you can't get caught. But you don't expect to get caught by somebody who yeah, that's the is point, behind you and in an offside position. So I I'll think, cut him a little bit of slack there. I think we know that Mings can be a little bit um, lax at times. I, don't, I can't think of a better word, a little bit too casual. And that's fair enough. Should he be chesting the ball there? Some would argue, no, he should be heading it away. But if he heads it away and straight to 
Phil Foden or whatever, and they break off the attack there, everyone would be going, oh, what's he just heading that lot of that floor? Why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he bring it down? Why doesn't he play it? He's brought it down so casually because he's if he if he's even thinking this, I mean, either sorry, either he doesn't know that Rodrigo's behind him because he's miles offside, and he's just thinking I can bring it down here and play, or he's thinking he's offside here, I can take my time. I think that's why he's done it. I don't think he's that casual to be going, oh, I'm that that, that cocky. I'm just going to chest balls around and do what I want. He either thinks he's nowhere near him because he's forgot he's there because he's miles offside, or he's thinking he's offside. I'm going to take my time. I don't really hold. I don't hold Mings that accountable for that, to be honest. Yeah, well, listen. Let's talk a little bit. And I know that's the crucial, crucial turning point or the the pivotal moment in the game. But what did you think? What do you think, Jim? I, I I thought it was a great game. Yeah, it, I was. it was so entertaining. I think I actually deleted my tweet because it, it it was. Um, have you seen that Twitter account? Tweets that precede unfortunate events in football. Yeah. I'd put something about both sides having a force. You can see why they've got the best defensive record because both sides have got a force field in front of the goal, keeping it out. And then, lo and behold, <laughs> they go and ping one in. Um, but I thought Villa, I thought Villa, considering we don't know, do we don't know which of those players or which of the, the first team squad um, was had, had positive tests for COVID and whether they're symptomatic. Yeah. And, but considering they hadn't played for a couple of weeks and they were playing against a Man City team who I thought were kind of meant business to be honest um, yeah. you know it was a lot of last ditch blocks and tackles and, and brave bodies on the line defending but Villa packed a punch themselves didn't they you know I don't think it, it was it was a bit of a kind of basketball game the way it was kind of end to end at times and I thought Villa I don't like the phrase, but gave a really good account of themselves, and we have, we do have to we do have to put a bit of perspective, and and we know that Villa competed pretty well against Man City in the last game that I saw live at Wembley, but just go back to when Man City gave us that six-one smashing at Villa Park. Even the three 0 at their place last year, that was nil nil at half time. And I remember thinking then, I think we did the podcast after and saying, first half, we were all right, we've kind of kept up with Man City there. Not really threatened, but we're still in the game, and then we concede, I think, in the forty sixth minute and just fall apart. Last year you look at that and go, well, last season. Um I think it was possibly twenty nineteen, would that be? Oh, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Um anyway, you look at that and think, Oh well, it's Man City, we're nowhere near it, like it's just one of those things you write it off and you're not obviously every every loss is disappointing, but it's not the end of the world. I feel like broken after that because we we deserved a point. I thought, like you said, we, you could have gone and nicked it and, and got got the win as well. Man City have got obvious quality. I'm not going to sit here and say that we you know wasn't wasn't scared of them. There are some chances that could have just pinged into the side netting. I think there was a deflection off Mings or Conte that I just thought was just rolling to the side netting. There's a few chances. I think they hit the bar as well. Like I'm not saying we we deserve to win that two or three nil. Man City are obviously very very good. It's just the the grievances with the VAR decision, the penalty that we'll come on to as well, and that Villa were in that and played some good football as well. Whether it was a ended up in a good chance, we play good football. We're a good footballing side now, and it, it's just disappointing. And that probably shows how far we've come in the last last year or year or so. That a, a two 0 away at Man City when we just had a big break and COVID, we're coming away from that going, oh, that's a missed opportunity. I'm really disappointed about that. Yeah, I think it's that. I think we said the same after United, didn't we? It's it's all the more galling because Villa have been really competitive in these games. Last season, it was our own ineptitude that was doing for us. Yeah. It's the ineptitude of the rules, the officials, um, just bad luck, you know, just blatant bad luck because, yeah, I don't know, 
I wonder in a kind of um, alternate universe, or even in this country, <laughs> there's similar podcasts for different clubs who are all kind of coming on with the same narrative. Yeah. Woe is no, me. No. But it does seem to be affecting us more. I don't know. Perhaps, perhaps that's just me feeling a bit sorry for us. Everyone um, thinks that, that they've got the worst luck and things go against them all the time. That's just part of being engrossed in your club that you don't look at anyone else. But it does feel like that, that we always seem to be on the receiving end of these things. I think with the offside thing, just to kind of round off and move away from that because I don't want to be all night, it kind of felt like, you know, when um, um, a goalkeeper takes a kick out of his hands and there's someone hanging around and they fell into the net or whatever and they walk all the way to the box and then they try and get in front of it and they dispossess it and the ref goes, oh, come on, and retakes it. That's exactly the reverse of what this offside practically was. Do you know what I mean? So if it was the other way around, if that was someone in the net miles away from playing and they come and try and interfere with the goalkeeper, they'd have let the goalkeeper retake that. Whereas with this, for some reason, common sense doesn't prevail and they go, well, he's clearly offside, he's, he's walked back, dispossessed Mings and they've scored off it. Common sense and VAR should give them the opportunity to go, that's wrong, let's let's fix that and carry on. But VAR want to mess with things when it's a little toenail and a little boot or an armpit hair. That's what I don't understand. It's very kind of nitpicky over things that you probably could get away with. Something where he's massively offside, like on a TV screen, or like this much. Fine, apparently, just play on. Different phase of play. Yeah, I mean, I think, regardless of how ridiculous we think the rules are, the first thing that the powers that be should do at the start of every season is communicate them properly to the people who are playing the game. Yeah. <laughs> and the managers. <laughs> well, yeah, well, the referee clearly knew the rule better than any of us, didn't he? That, the one on the pitch, because if, if that if that is right, that touching the ball, actively playing the ball, kind of negates the somebody being in an offside position, then that's fine. But I don't think that, that Tyro Mings and the Villa back four and the Villa manager and Peter Walton and Rio Ferdinand in the studio. They hadn't got the memo. I mean, Robbie Savage clearly got the memo because he, he just dug out oh, Tyro Mings and said, you know, it's all his fault and the referee's done nothing wrong. Um, but the, the rest of the world don't seem to have the memo. There's a, a quick tweet that I saw from, from somebody saying, offside, 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 onside. And if you look at that at a quick glance, you won't even spot Rodrigo in the... Can't the even see him, search him, don't you, to find him? Left hand side with this little arrow is. You think it would be one of the other two players when you quickly glance at it. It's just madness. It's madness. I'm I'm sick of it, frankly. Um, but like you said, it kind of if that's the rules, that's the rules. But it just doesn't seem like that should be the rules. It seems like an easy thing to fix. And and linking in with that is the penalty. Yes, it's hit his hand from however far away it was at full speed, and his hands up here. And it's got to be tucked in and natural positions and all the rest of it, whatever that counts as. But if a ball hits you up here and you're like this, that's not a penalty for me. Whether it's Villa or not, I'd be saying, no, that's harsh. That's that's not a penalty. But if that's the rules, it's technically correct. But that's where the frustration lies, that the rules are wrong. You're almost kind of penalised for being in possession of hands, aren't you, nowadays? Yeah. You know, should uh, you know when it was cold in PE and you kind of put your... <laughs> you'd be not like that, just have little stumps and say, didn't it, my hand? Look, I haven't got any hands. Um... <laughs> Well, yeah, it was. It was a. I mean, I was done by then anyway. <laughs> Do you know yeah, what I mean? you've, you've always got a chance, haven't you? Yeah. What did you think? I don't want to. I keep. I've said it. I keep going back to it and the decisions and stuff. What did you think about Villa in terms of their energy levels? Um, I thought when you were saying before about not knowing which players got um, what, which player had a positive COVID test, I would. Take a stab at McGinn, maybe suffered a little bit. Um, whether it was just an off day or not, but he didn't look anywhere near his usual self. 
uh, looked like he was unfit a little bit. So I'd take a guess that he was probably one of the ones he was a bit disappointing. Barclay, to a lesser extent, I think wasn't wasn't brilliant either. But I blame that on just a lack of match time generally. Yeah, the wall. I thought McGinn snatched it a couple of bits, didn't he? Yeah, um, that makes it. Yesterday, was probably physically or mentally tired, which is not very McGinn. You'd expect him to strike the ball cleanly. No. Um, but the rest of I them, thought, it's different, isn't it? Because you either think, in my head, I'm thinking, if we've been hit hard by this, we'll know straight away in the first few minutes. I think, Christ, they look fatigued. That didn't happen. And then you think, oh, maybe after half time, maybe after an hour, we'll look a little bit weaker. I didn't think that really happened, considering it was against Man City and it was an end-to-end game. I think that was just normal tiredness for a game. I don't think it was any more severe than anything else. Second half, we weren't brilliant at the start for the first 15 minutes or so of that. We did look at a little bit a little bit tired, but like I said, I don't think that was anything unusual. Um, so yeah, I don't think it's yeah. luckily hit us too hard or unthankfully, as, as we've said all along, football's irrelevant really. It's nice to see that they're all back fit and healthy as well. That's the main thing. Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... I thought for the for the opening stages of each half, I thought, oh god, they're toying with us here. We're going to get a you know going to get a bit of a chasing. But I think as soon as we wanted to get the ball up the pitch and give them something to worry about, it kind of you thought, well, hang on, no, we're not going to be camped in our in our half for the whole game. Um, like I said, I thought it was a, a proper kind of to and fro, proper kind of you know contest. Really, um, did you? Um, what did you? We, we always kind of speak about about this fella because it's still one of the, the the main position in the team that we don't think has probably been nailed down. Although I think in recent recent months the three people who have played it have made good auditions. So mostly talking the the, the right wing position, the Trezeguet first, and then then Traore and a bit of Al Ghazi. Um, you know, in, in recent games, what what did you think about um, Traore again? Because I. I, I I got the sense from a little bit of the commentary with my own eyes and from some of the some of the chatter on social media that it was that is he doing enough? You know, Matty Cash probably needs more help than ever against you know the kind of lightning bolt that's Phil Bolden, Phil Bolden, Phil, <laughs> Phil Foden even. Um, how do you think he did? Yeah, I agree. I think that's bang on. I think defensively, he still needs to do more. I think. I mean, <clears throat> with Traoré, I think you look at him thinking that he probably needs to do more because you're comparing him to Trezeguet who does do a lot defensively. I think if you compare him to El Ghazi, I think their work rate probably is pretty similar, really. I don't think El Ghazi does much. He does, to be fair. But Trezeguet is the, out of the three, he's the one that will track back and do the defensive side of things. So, yeah, Matty Cash definitely needs more help um, if Traoré is playing. But him going forward, he offers something a little bit different. That touch to take De, uh, De Bruyne out of the game, I think it was De Bruyne anyway, and go through and then kind of, bit of a, a tame effort, really, at the, at the goalkeeper. But, in Steve McManaman as well was going mental for that, calling it the a potential Puskas Award winning goal if that went in. It's like, all right, Steve, like it was a good touch and a decent strike, but it's not going to win like many awards. Like it would have been a great goal, but come on, mate. Um, but yeah, like you said, he's very enthusiastic. I'll give him that. Um, but yeah, I think that's that about some up Toro, really. He's, he has these little flashes where you think, oh, yeah, good player there, good dribbler. Yeah, I think he beat the uh, Man City left back as well at one point and put a half decent ball across. Um, very one footed, <laughs> which, we, which we knew about. Um, wants to cut in on his left all the time, which can be a bit predictable, and you know that he won't track back. So he's definitely got his flaws, but there's there's bits there that make you think, yeah, he's a decent addition to have around the squad. And I think those three can probably rotate pretty comfortably, and we won't really miss too much of anything. Yeah, as a as a southpaw myself with just one foot, with a sweet left foot, I'm not going to get get involved in digging him out for that. Or albeit in the Premier League, you probably need to be a little bit more ambidextrous than you do, you know, playing down five a side pitch in Albury. 
Um, but, I mean, if you look at it, I mean, there's a, a lot made. I mean, we know Man, Man City pouring forward, you know, the movement and the you know, the quality they've got is so good. But they've become a real kind of um, defensive mean machine, haven't they? This mm-hmm. season, they've got the start of the game with the, the, better, the I think, the only club with a better defensive record than Villa. And Villa have threatened them. I know we haven't scored. I know they've kept a clean sheet against us. But, you know, it wasn't for the want of trying. You know, like you said, there was that, that chance from Traore. You know, he probably got himself in a tangle in the first half when he got into a decent position, taking on a couple of people down the right. There was the one where, where Barkley, you know, squaring the ball and he just misplaces his pass with Grealish, begging for it in the first mm-hmm. half. You know, there's another one where Watkins has flashed the ball across the, the box and, and Jacob Ramsey's busting a gut to get on the end of it and a little touch from the def- defenders diverted it away. So, I don't McGinn, think there'll be many teams that get beyond. Say that McGinn miss it as well. Yeah, so I don't think there'll be there'll be many teams who will will cause Man City as many problems as that. Ridiculous as it sounds, because we haven't scored a goal. Uh, no, so for all the negatives and all the all the disappointment and all the VAR frustration and all the Peter Walton changing his mind <laughs> and Robbie Savage digging out Tyro Mings, it was. I think that performance tonight was. So much better than I was expecting, to be honest. Yeah. I expected we'd lose the game. I probably expected we'd lose the game by a similar scoreline, but I probably expected that we'd lose the game and VAR would be involved somewhere. <laughs> but I didn't expect that we'd we'd come back from this kind of, you know, really horrible break in our season to to put in such a kind of positive performance. Really, yeah. Even looking at the start on eleven, I, I said this on the on the episode that we did with Max. I think I might have trimmed it down the edit because I felt like I was just waffling with my point. And I said, like, I didn't want the COVID thing. I've talked with you about this privately. I didn't want to kind of trivialise the COVID thing, but the fact that we didn't know anything about the squad from a tactical point of view was quite a nice thing. Man City had no idea who'd be playing tonight. We had no idea as fans. I was surprised to see such a strong side, to be honest, because you just think nine first-team players have got it. We don't know which nine. We don't know what severity. There's a chance that that team news comes out at five o'clock and there's kids playing, there's reserves, there's all sorts could have gone wrong with it. Well, had gone wrong, you know what I mean? So to see everyone fit back and, and raring to go this is a good thing, first and foremost, that they're all fit and healthy. But also from a, a footballing perspective, it doesn't look like we've had a 19-day break and, and, and training ground's been closed for, for two weeks. We've looked perfectly fine. So I'm, I'm kind of happy that we're we're getting back into the rhythm, rhythm of things. And it's, yeah, as much as like you said, we, we've lost the game and and that's the main thing. It doesn't look like we've been not training for two weeks. I think that's the positive. And the game's come thick and fast. We go again against Newcastle and hopefully you you beat them. But Steve Bruce, and we'll come on to that later. It's um, it's it's interesting because if you're gonna if you're gonna ease your way back in, or if you're gonna you're gonna resume football after a couple of week break. You might as well do it against Man City because the, well, yeah. there's no there's no chance to fill your way in, is there? You've got to go. You've got to go full pelt from yeah, the off. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think what else. This is obviously was, the injury to Target, wasn't there? Yeah, he was the last one I was going to mention before moving on to Newcastle. I mean, the injury we don't know the, again the severity of that just yet. He walked off, so you'd assume that's not that bad. Although we've we've seen cases of that before. Um, I don't know whether Smith said anything so far. People in the comments are probably better versed than we are. Um, obviously being live at the moment but again very very good Matty Target we've talked a lot about left back being the, the weak link over the last season or so and he's been he's been good all season so far but again again, considering there's been the break he's come back and you've, you've thought yeah he's looked very good got the blocks in got some good slide tackles in managed the threat of Man City very very well um, 
Neil Taylor and play any length of, of time would be a little bit concerning, but you'd hope that he might only miss a game or, or two, or maybe not even anything. It's just a precaution, and and he's he's back in for um for Newcastle. But yeah, very good. I thought Matt Target. Yeah, I, I think he's one of the ones who. I think it's I think it's a sign of Villa's progress that we the, you can't dig out too many scapegoats anymore, can you? It's like a natural instinct to kind of find the weakest link, and the fact that that even people who were were referred to as Villa's weakest link previously are producing such consistent performances mm. is, is a sign of the strides that we're making. Um, going to be interesting, isn't it? If, if, if Neil Taylor comes back in for a short while, probably against the man who signed him. Um, four years ago now, isn't it? Blimey. Yeah. Um, on Saturday. He's an interesting one, Neil Taylor. I think he will, of that window, of those Bruce signings, we've obviously been looking at some of the Bruce stuff ahead of the weekend. And that window, Conor Harahan's obviously on his, on his bike now, um, was the successful one from there. Um, and then after that, Sam Johnson, perhaps. Were, were any, any of the others do anything? James Bruce, Scott Hogan, Henry Lansbury, Berker Bjornsson. Uh, so if Taylor is probably in terms of involvement, mm. you know, we, when he's played, he's not always been, you know, without me trying to dig the lad out, he's not always filled me with the most confidence, but he's always been reliable to a point, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, and fair play to him, fair play to him, because he hasn't had a great deal of football, but when he's come in, he's come in and, and, and I could say like his PE teacher writing his report, but performed to the best of his ability. Um, so I think listen, of, of that flurry of signings that, that Bruce made all those years ago, I'm just trying to. I think Taylor will be on his way. I think Lansbury will be on his way. Um, and there's only, you know, I think I think of, of Bruce's of all Bruce's signings, is there only McGinn left? God, you put me on the Elmo, spot, yeah. perhaps. Elmo, yeah, I would have said Harahan until tonight. Oh, well, Garcia as well. There's, a few I could, there's probably a few I could um, reel off because I think El Garcia came, didn't he, on loan um, in that season. Anyway, moving on to Newcastle. Yeah, speaking of, McGinn picked up his fifth yellow card of the season. He'll miss Newcastle, which will be... Uh, Did he get good, McGinn? Well, this is the thing. At first, I thought no. And then people in the comments are saying he got booked. And then people are saying, why is John McGinn out? And then I'll just check the BBC Sport like video printer thing whatever it's called and they've got him down as being booked on the 67th minute as well so uh, yeah I think he's got five yellows and will miss who scored also I've got him down as having five yellow cards for the season so that means John McGinn misses Newcastle which part of me says will be a big loss part of me says he didn't look up quite fit anyway so maybe that's not not the worst thing in the world Conor Harahan can come in and play but now he's gone to Swansea so well, I don't think Harahan had come in and played anyway, would he? You know, we've had Ramsey, <laughs> Ramsey promoted promoted above him. Um, so, no, I, I, I didn't see that. I start saying, no, oh, I didn't either. Right. <laughs> Did he, Jeff? Because um, <laughs> also, the video, print, the video printer says that foul by Douglas Louise, 67, and then booking John McGinn is shown a yellow card, also 67. So I don't know whether there's a mistake somewhere. People have just yeah, got mixed up. Yeah, they're similar looking, aren't they? Yeah, I know. Well, I saw Louise get booked for that very obvious foul. And no one seems to have seen McGinn get booked. There's a lot of people saying McGinn has got his yellow and it's different sources are saying he's got one. So Maybe he was yeah. standing out of shot. Maybe he was standing next to um, your man, Rodrigo. Yeah. Out of shot. <laughs> well, we'll see anyway. He's either fit, he's either going to be available or he isn't. I'm not going to guess now because we're making ourselves look stupid live. Smith will rectify it at some point. Clarify it, sorry. Um, Newcastle, people are in the comments saying, we'll batter Newcastle. I disagree. 
I think we'll have too much for Newcastle eventually, but I don't see us battering them because it's Steve Bruce and he'll set up not to be battered. And if they get an early goal, I'd be a little bit concerned we won't be able to break them down because they'll just sit back and do nothing. Because they'll do that for minute one anyway and the owners will be on us to break them down. I do think we'll win, but I don't think it'll be as easy as people are expecting. They are awful though. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like Bruce is, is reaching the end game there. I'd have been a lot more confident going into this game if Villa Park was packed to the rafters, to mm. be honest. I reckon by sheer force of uh, energy from the crowd, we'd have beaten them. But I'm sure, sure. well, quality-wise, and I think Ash, Ash Priest made this point the other day with a piece where he, he I think he, he very cruelly, um, Callum Wilson's, for Callum Wilson, went back to the comments that Wilson said why he chose Newcastle over over Villa in terms of the quality that they've got and the chances they'll create and all that kind of thing. Um, I think Callum Wilson there would probably have to admit that, that Villa are um, are more of a force than Newcastle. I don't think that, that's such a leap of imagination to say that. I think Villa will have enough to, to overpower them or to, to outclass them, shall I say. Um, I don't think it'd be straightforward. I think, you know, you're probably talking about a kind of a, a one goal, you know, a 1-0 or a 2-1 or something like that. But um, yeah, it's um, it's interesting, isn't it? How kind of history repeats itself because even the um, even the rhetoric that Bruce is coming out with is very similar. You know, kind of pointing the fact that that fans were never going to accept him at at, um, at Newcastle because of his Sunderland past. You know, where where have we heard that before? And, you know, it's um, you know kind of downplaying the expectations. And I don't know. Listen, I, I don't want to. I don't want to get into to, to knocking Steve Bruce. I'm pro- sure we'll probably have a separate podcast doing that in a couple of days anyway. <laughs> but what I would say is that when he did arrive at Villa, I thought he kind of brought a, a kind of just a bit of a, a grown-up mentality for a short while and tried to kind of galvanise a, a club and a dressing room that, that was down on its look. I think the problem that... that Bruce has from my experience and from, from CNH playing out at Newcastle is that when his plan B is fairly kind of functional, um, plan B fails and he doesn't have the creative thinking or the nous to, to adapt, that's when he starts seeking seeking excuses and he's better at excuse management than football management. Um, yeah. But it's Newcastle's problem now. You know, yeah. it was the right call for Villa to get rid of him when 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 they did. Whether it was a cabbage, whether it was Glenn Whelan missing a penalty, whether it was a combination of all those factors, it was the right time. Villa made the right call. And if they hadn't made that call, we wouldn't be in this situation bemoaning our luck because we'd lost, we'd competed, you know, toe-to-toe with Manchester City and lost on VAR decisions. So, you know, it was a watershed moment and... You know, Villa benefited from it. Bruce, in time, I think benefited from it because he got back in the Premier League. I think he, I don't think he was, he was going to get himself in the Premier League with with Villa in a hurry. Um, mm. So yeah, we'll we'll see what um, see what sort of Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening, isn't it? Is it a late kickoff. Saturday, yeah, eight o'clock. Annoying, <laughs> but yeah, here we are. Um, the one thing I like from Bruce in recent days was about or recent weeks, whenever it was, he said something about like oh, I've been here two years now. Whatever, I'm going to start doing things my way. What? What have you been doing for two years then? Like that makes out as if he's not been making the decisions when he clearly has. And it's all about oh, play, play my style of football. 
what miserable, boring, negative football, which they're already doing now. Because like, if he's suddenly going to start, let the shackles off and they're going to start. But I mean, it'd be typical that he does something different against Villa and they do look really good. That'd be classic Bruce to get something against us. Um, I'm just waiting for the one that comes out where he says something like, oh, well, Newcastle aren't going to get anyone better than me, are they? Who else, who else can they get? That's his, his last one to use before he, uh, before he leaves. Yeah, yeah it's just, uh, just funny. It's funny you're talking about doing it, doing it, saying, Bruce, I'll do it my way. Just remind me of uh, Big Ron used to be like a do Frank Sinatra impersonation, didn't he? I think he sang at Ronnie Scott's in Birmingham once Big Ron doing kind of my way. I can't imagine kind of Bruce as a, doing the same kind of cabaret act. He'd probably be something more out of Phoenix Knights, wouldn't he? Mm. Anyway. Last thing to end on after a jokey, happy podcast is some sad news from from in the week um, of a, a Villa fan. I think he was 29, Jack Ryan. Um dying after being hit by a car out jogging in London. I've just put a link to a um, change.org um, petition in the Facebook comments where you can make a change because that road is unsafe for pedestrians, basically, which is where the accident happened. Um, terrible to see. It's, it's kind of blown up on social media over the last few days. It's such a, such a sad loss at such a, a young age as well. And um, our thoughts go out to, to his friends and family. If I know that he's, I know that he was a fan of other podcasts, so I'm not, not saying he was a fan of one of ours, but you know, just in, we're in this community, it's one of our own, and um, yeah, really sad news. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the where football comes together, isn't it? I know it sounds a bit cliched and a bit probably a bit sentimental and stuff, but football come, comes together as a family, um, and. Again, you know, you probably find me finding any, any excuse to bemoan us not being inside stadiums, but it's kind of moments like this that, that remind us of why we love that collective experience, really. And, you know, I've never met this, this young lad, but I can feel, see from the tributes that, that I've I've read to him and, you know, kind of how, how loved he is by, by fellow Villa fans. So, like you say, our, our, our thoughts and condolences to, to his family. And if if, you know... People can come together to support this cause and get this, get, you know, fill in this petition to get this this road made safe, and then, you know, see if you can throw your support behind that. Yeah, I think it got over up to either up to or over the ten thousand um, like threshold um, in like a day or something after it was shared on social media. So the fans have really got behind it. So I urge anyone watching this to to go over to that link and, and sign up as well. It'll literally take thirty seconds. Um, I think that's the end isn't it for, for this week's podcast ending on a little bit of a, a somber note but we'll be back with more more stuff in the next few days i know we've got a few different bits lined up newcastle on saturday games just coming all the time so we've recorded a podcast today that will be out possibly thursday maybe friday and we also might <clears throat> we also might do like a newcastle preview kind of episode with the guys up in our um sister company at the, at the chronicle as well on friday so plenty of stuff coming up and um, we'll be back on saturday evening regardless of all that to talk about the game and hopefully three points for villa Anything else to add, Matt, before we leave? No, I'm just I'm expecting to switch off this podcast now and go and see that Peter Walton's changed his mind again. Uh, like, you know, that um, Grandad Simpson gif where he comes yeah. in and goes out again. You're thinking, again, oh, just finish it there. I'm gonna, you're going to get me ranting. I know. Again. I start to think about it and get wound up again. So we'll leave it there. Thanks, everyone, who joined us live on Facebook this evening. Thanks, everyone, who's watching this after the fact. Get involved in YouTube comments and iTunes reviews and all that kind of stuff. Get involved on social media. And we love hearing fans' reactions. I know we don't put much up on screen these days. There's so many comments come through. It's it's hard, but I do jam them and kind of put in, integrate those points as my own into the podcast or steal other people's opinions. Um, so thanks, everyone, for getting involved. And we'll see you again in a few days. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, up the villa. Up the villa.